Good morning. Good morning. I am really glad to be here with everybody. I love coming to visit um, Round Rock in Austin. They have the best pizza, the best donuts. Um, Gordo's Donuts, if anybody's wondering. It's the best. Um, so we've been in this series for a little bit about uh, you know, what we do with our wallets. Um, the Bible has a few things to say about that, as we've come to know over these past couple weeks. Uh, so the theme of the series, um, yeah, like what, what we do with our, uh, with our money. So far, Pastor Allen has talked about tithing. He's also talked about saving. And honestly, isn't that great that we have a God that cares about our future and he wants us to save money? Amen to that. Um, in contrast to that, I wanted to show you just a picture back here on the next slide. Anybody know what this is? Yeah. Those are Rolls Royces, very expensive cars. There's a lot of them. And they all belong to one man. Uh, he was the leader of a religious cult in the 70s um, called the Rajneeshi cult. And part of joining him meant that you sold all your possessions and gave him all the money. So he doesn't care about you saving money, but our, our God <laughs> does care a lot about you saving money, and he uh, is very concerned uh, about what you do with it. Now, um, the reason for that, I think, is that uh, in taking a small detour from what we have been talking about, uh, the series has shown us that what we do with our wallets reflects more than just what we do with our money and how we spend it. It also shows a little bit about uh, our hearts, and it reveals that to us. So I just want to press on that idea today. In the spirit of the holidays, I think it's important that we discuss this because of all the times of the year, this is the one time of the year where it's the most prevalent uh, with this issue. And if you can go to the next slide for me. So it's... Something that I struggle with, I know I struggle with it uh, constantly uh, throughout the year. I hope some of you struggle with it as well as the holidays press on. Um, I'm pretty sure a good majority of people do. But there's something particular I wanted to talk about this today because uh, I think it just gets passed up because um, we think it only has to do really with, you know, are we spending too much money in this area? Or are we doing this? It's a little bit deeper than that. Um, and it's something that we have to keep coming back to as a Christian over and over again just to make sure that we're kind of prioritizing this correctly. So today we're going to talk about materialism. And how many people have heard of this term before, materialism? Anybody like study philosophy and hear the word materialism? Because there's a much different connotation that, oh, you did? Yeah. That um, it's much more boring and... Uh, we're not talking about that one today, though. Um, today we're talking about the kind of materialism that involves kind of how you live your life. And the Google definition that I found just by typing in materialism was a life that prioritizes the material over the spiritual. But that sounds very new age to me. If you look at the next slide, it's kind of, you know, spiritual and material kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's a little too new agey to me, so I think uh, that doesn't really apply to us too much. But there is kind of a, a Christian way of understanding this that does apply immediately to us. And that, to me, 
is materialism as living one's life in worship to what can be gained from one's own means rather than living one's life in worship to God. And to shorten that, materialism is an idol that is worshipped instead of God. So you might be thinking to yourself in regards to materialism, well, I know the holidays get crazy, you know. Um, I get a little obsessed with the different responsibilities that come in. I got to buy gifts for this person. I got to do this. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I don't worship rocks or anything like that. Like, I'm here in, in a church, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're, we're in the right place. Uh, but I want to challenge that because that's kind of how I used to understand it as well. And part of the issue with that is um, we have kind of a very linear view of the word worship. Um, and just to kind of bring that out, does your definition of worship only include God when you're singing to him at church or on the radio on uh, 105.9? Or does it only include God when you're sitting at church listening to a sermon? Does it only include God when you're volunteering at church or at various charitable events? Uh, worship is a much broader term um, that you see in the Bible. It encompasses a lot of different things. And for today's purposes, I'm going to kind of just give it a simple definition as a kind of life-ordering principle. Let's call it that. Basically, it's a way of ordering your life. And you can turn to the next slide. Oh, yep, here already got it up. Okay. It's a way of ordering your life that takes into account where you spend your time, where you invest yourself emotionally, spiritually, monetarily. It's the principle you live by that guides how you respond and react uh, to good or bad things that happen to you. And that's especially important because how you respond in those moments will tell you a lot about uh, what you worship. So to sum it up, it's, it's basically what your entire life is ultimately fixated on. When you live under materialism, you're making an idol and worshiping it instead of God. So we're going to continue along those lines. This kind of way of thinking is a direct threat to living the way that Jesus showed us to live as prioritizing the gospel, the real message of his ministry. Uh, it's keeping our entire life in worship uh, keeping our entire life in worship toward God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross is especially dangerous to us because it makes us selfish. It makes us lose our sense of compassion. It kills our love for each other and distances us from God. Materialism strips the gospel of all its transformative power. The whole point of the gospel was that it was a gift and is a gift one that overcomes what our sinful nature could not. It regenerates our souls from despair into an eternal life filled with hope and joy through the amazing atoning work of Jesus and his resurrection. And we're going to have to make a choice today and every day that are we going to be people that live for the gospel or ultimately live for ourselves. So there's a really great story in the Bible I think illustrates this very issue in a, in a more universal way that's applicable for all people. So if you turn to Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17, for most of you it's going to be called the rich young man section. 
And what we're going to learn about is how Jesus wants you to sell all your possessions and wander around the desert. Just kidding. That's, that was a joke. He doesn't actually want you to do that. Um, this is a kind of long passage that uh, we're going to be reading, but it's a really interesting story. And while I go through it, just pay special attention to Jesus' reaction to the rich man, uh, what he says about being rich at the end. And just as a quick disclaimer before we start reading this, um, I just want to make it clear that even though Jesus calls this man to sell all his possessions, take up a life of service, the real message of the story, I think, is deeper than that. And I think it's pretty clear even from the way that Jesus is talking to the man. Uh, the specific command only applies to this man, particularly because it was literally Jesus asking him this. <laughs> um, but I don't even think that Jesus is being that literal here. There's a spiritual significance to what is being communicated between him and the man. So if you look at, uh, starting in verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had, great, he had a great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus said, or Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. <coughs> so, one thing I think it's interesting is, if you go back to verse 17, when it says, as you're sitting on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him. So if anybody here is familiar with the gospel narratives, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is like a golden opportunity for Jesus. It has never been more easy than it is right, right now in this moment. Uh, it's literally one of the easiest converts he could ever have. Uh, imagine that if you were just so filled with Jesus' presence, people just ran up to you and were like, please, just lead me in the sinner's prayer. I, I want that eternal life thing. I want salvation. I, I don't even know if Billy Graham could have done better in that moment. But, you know, he is competing with Jesus, so 
Um, but you know what? Uh, what's also funny is that by this one question, the man seems to, keyword seems, to understand more about Jesus' ministry than all of Jesus' disciples up to this point. I mean, he's literally asking the question that kind of brings out why Jesus is even here. However, Jesus responds in a way that we don't expect. We might expect him just to, you know, kind of lead him in repentance, lead him in the sinner's prayer, maybe go baptize him, something like that. But Jesus, being God, knows more about this man than simply the meaning of the man's question. He also sees his heart. So Jesus tests him and says in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. So kind of an obscure question, but Jesus knows this man is a Jew. And as a Jew, the man can't just call somebody good. Calling somebody good is kind of equating them to God or, or a God-like figure. So by asking the man this, uh, so by Jesus asking this man uh, that question, he's trying to draw out whether the man believes that Jesus is the Messiah, God in flesh, come to redeem the world, or if he thinks Jesus is merely a good man. If he believes Jesus is a good man, then the rich young man does not have the right priority in his life. But we'll kind of come back to that in a second. Jesus continues to test him, as you see in verse 19. Uh, it's, it's, you kind of almost read this sarcastically, because um, for, for a good Jewish man, this would just be kind of obvious. Uh, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. I mean, you can just continue down the line. You see, the rich young man, as I said, is a Jew, and according to Jewish law, this is the path to uh, eternal life, to salvation, to being considered righteous and blameless. But it was not complete. The only way to eternal life salvation was not only to live according to Jewish law, uh, the law of Moses, but it was also to live that way perfectly. And um, just to illustrate that, how many of us have lied before? You know, Quite a few. Not as many of you are as quick to raise your hands there. Hmm. <laughs> um, so immediately all of us are just completely off the table. We, can, we, can't, we can't do it. Um, it's literally impossible to live a perfect, sinless, blameless life. And that is why Jesus, uh, that is why Jesus was here in, in this story. Because now that Jesus had come, Jesus was in the process of completely fulfilling the law, living the perfect life, that he could bear the weight of our sins on the cross, provide a way to salvation for all who would believe. Jesus was trying to test the man if he was catching on to this kind of idea by asking him these questions. That he did not have everything he needed to have eternal life. And that's why this man came asking Jesus in the first place. He didn't think he had everything he needed. And amazingly, even more, or sorry, even more amazing than most of the disciples, like I said, he does understand this because he asked the right question. <laughs> um, but if you look at the next Next verse, uh, he just tells Jesus, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. And then Jesus responds to him. Um, Jesus felt a love for him, said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So first thing, you know, verse 20, 
Jesus, I've done all that. The man probably felt a small sigh of relief, like, oh, good, I've been doing it right. <laughs> um, I don't have to worry about anything. He just confirmed it. I will get into heaven. But then, well, okay, I know, like, you're thinking that maybe this man couldn't have possibly lived a perfect life, uh, but I don't think that's really the issue here because... Um, he was generally doing what was considered right. He was being a good Jew, following the, um, the law of Moses. And Jesus even affirms him, says he looks on him with love. But by the sins of that time, like I said earlier, he was, uh, sorry, well, not perfectly, though. He was following the commandments. He wasn't lying, cheating, or stealing. He, wasn't, he was being a good and faithful um, follower. And Jesus recognizes this, affirms the man. Uh, he didn't rebuke him or smack him down, like, how dare you say you're perfect? Obviously, you lie, even yesterday. But here comes the bombshell. He tells him to sell everything you have. So why does Jesus ask this of the man? Is it because he was rich that he found this man an easy target for an object lesson? It would be a really easy target for an object lesson. Um, this is... The standard for rich in this day and age was, like, very rich. But no, I don't think that is what was going on here. Uh, like many of us, he saw his heart was in worship not to God, but to the self. That first question he asked the man, we now have an answer to. Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. Well, to this man, there is one more thing that's good uh, other than God. It was the idol of materialism. His worship and the hold of materialism over his life was so strong, it actually caused him to reject Jesus, Jesus' request to leave everything behind. And speaking to God himself, the man just couldn't do it. <laughs> well, to this man, um, well, how could this, how could he do such a thing? Again, I don't know. I don't want us to treat uh, the rich man too harshly because, like we said, um, I think he was generally trying to be as good as he possibly could. But I kind of see Christians at times in this man's role. Um, I see myself in this man's role, uh, the rich man. Jesus stands calling out to us, and sometimes we have a hard time of letting go and prioritizing the gospel in our lives. And I'll kind of outline that here in a second. But, you know, I love the sinner's prayer. Uh, but it's just a step onto a path, a path to eternal life. But there are things in your life that will continue to pull you this way and that way, taking your focus off of the gospel and onto materialism, the things that kind of bound us to this world. I think the best way to illustrate this is with relationships. So it's, it's kind of a running joke in a lot of TV shows that my generation gets into these relationships in high school or beyond, they become really toxic, they break up, they can't stop uh, thinking about each other, they get back together, they, they break up again. I mean, it's the basis of most uh, TV shows, I feel like, nowadays. Um, it's really hard for them to let uh, just break it off completely, even though they know it's bad for each other. And that's kind of how it is with this attachment and hold over materialism, because you spent so much time investing yourself into it, just like in, you would in a relationship. 
You might have grown to love that person, uh, invest everything you have into them, maybe thinking you had a future with that person. But it's not just as easy as just you know, flicking off a switch. And it's not as easy as probably deleting their phone number right away or stop thinking about them. Um, and that's how this worship thing works. You think just because you gave to charity that one time that your greediness suddenly disappeared? I mean, if that were the case, that would be just amazing. I have like a laundry list of vices and sins that stretch from here to the capital that I wish I could just cancel out with one good deed at a time. But I can't. It's hard. <laughs> It's, it's difficult, and in fact, at times, it's so difficult that without God, it's, it's just straight up impossible to let those things go. And that's why the gospel is supposed to be more than a story. It has power. The words, um, well, it, it has power in our lives. It has a transformation power that slowly but surely, as long as you make the gospel the ordering principle of your life, and I mean, like, top priority. It will change your very nature. Over time, the pull that materialism has over you will fade away, and in its absence will be the most glorious, life-filling power of Christ. You see, this man, by rejecting Jesus, he, didn't, he did more than just reject Jesus' request to literally follow him uh, and follow his disciples. He also rejected the gospel. Jesus' entire reason for being there. In the rich man, we can kind of see ourselves at times in, in seasons and, um, you know, all throughout our lives. For the most part, I'm sure we all try to do the Christian thing, uh, and, and I'm certainly guilty of this, but in secret, we still have a way of uh, that our things have a strong hold over us. And just to illustrate that, uh, here's a few signs that materialism might have a strong hold over you and the gospel um, does not. Not any of these one things makes you some kind of big materialist and you're not a Christian or something like that. What I'm trying to illustrate here is just showing that materialism has a hold over us. And at any time, it could cause us to focus on that more than the transformative power of the gospel. So this list comes courtesy of a YouTube video by Pastor Gary Osborne. Uh, one of the, the first uh, part of the list says uh, you, um, you don't pay your credit card off at the end of the month. So it's okay to use and have credit cards, but when you don't pay it off and the interest goes up, now you're letting the credit card use you all of a sudden. And another one on here is you fight with your spouse or friends about money often. Do you guys know that most marriages fail because of financial issues? Another one on here is you make impulsive purchases. This is my big vice. Amazon is one of the worst inventions and best at the same time. Um, but oftentimes we do this for literally no other reason other than it makes us feel good in that moment. We don't need it, <laughs> but we want it. Uh, another one is you find it difficult to tithe to your local church. Uh, another one is spending everything we make and saving nothing for the future. And we talked about that uh, last week. God, wa God wants us to be saving for the future and not putting everything we have into our now experience. Uh, 
And another one on here is borrowing money for depreciating items. Did you know that cars lose a large part of their value just getting off the lot? And I have a funny story about this. I, uh, my bank, surprisingly, uh, wouldn't give me a credit card for the longest time. It, it took forever for them to okay me to get a credit card because uh, I'm at a credit union. But now I get all these letters saying that I'm pre-approved for a car loan for up to $40,000. And that just blows me away. <laughs> First of all, at my age, who needs a $40,000 car? Um, that must be where they make all their money. I don't know. Um, but besides cars, you know, what about phones? Oh my goodness, the money that we spend on our phones alone. But it's not as much about the money, it's the frivolousness with which we whip out our credit cards, uh, borrowed money for these items like, uh, like this that in one year just become simply outdated. And I got this line from Pastor Gary Osborne in that video as well. We borrow money for things we can't afford to impress people we don't know, a lot of times. And I'm gonna add to that, uh, that we also keep up with the people that we don't know. Keeping up with the Joneses or the Kardashians, whichever <laughs> you prefer. Uh, last one on the list is that I'm gonna add that there is, that if you just think in your life right now, that if God asked you to give that thing up, you just couldn't do it. Or the thought of losing it is just too much to accept. Just, to, just take a second to think about that. You know, is there things in my life that would just be too difficult to give up if God asked me to do it? Um, not that I'm asking you to sell to the poor and wander in the desert, but let's imagine that God did do that. Would that be too difficult? Um, this list, and especially the last one, I think can help us get a clearer idea of where we stand with this idea of materialism. Maybe we aren't so different from the young, rich young man after all. So here's what we need to do. We need to stop living a life under materialism and turn our life towards the gospel. So, pretty easy, right? <laughs> um, here's the thing, though. This is not a one and done. It's an everyday thing because it's so vital for our walk with Christ. And uh, I can kind of illustrate the first time this kind of made uh, a major change in my life. Um, it was about like five or six years ago when I was in college. And growing up as a pastor's son, I felt the need to be involved a lot. So I was on the, I went to a Christian school, so I was on the worship team. Uh, I did a lot of uh, extracurricular events, like going to help feed the homeless. Um, what else did I do? That was so long ago, five years. <laughs> um, see, I, I had access to a special type of dorm that people didn't get access to if they had disciplinary issues. Um, so I kind of just thought of myself as being above reproach. But I, I just let that get ahead of me. And then um, I, because I thought I was doing so much good, I thought I was above reproach and eventually just made some mistakes. Uh, I got kicked off the worship team, wasn't allowed to live in that dorm anymore. Uh, and my world just kind of came sort of crumbling down. 
in, in half a second. But where did I go when that happened? You know, you would think maybe I turned to God and uh, turned to what he has done for me and kind of lean into that. But instead, I went to a dark place. I was depressed, but in that moment, I didn't know why. It wasn't until a few days later that a good friend of mine named Andre invited me to spend uh, some time at an event called uh, Redemption Groups at his church. It was basically kind of a spiritual retreat where we would just talk all day about how the gospel impacts our life. At first, I thought it was kind of weird because I knew the gospel, but I didn't understand that it still had relevance for those who had already accepted Christ. In meeting and talking with a group of godly men, I could see in my own heart that I had made life uh, worship towards doing things that pleased God, and, and I thought maybe that would make God accept me. Even though I probably didn't actively think that way, that's exactly how I was living my life. But I, I just did things for him. And if I didn't get to do these things, like be on the worship team or you know, help out of the soup kitchen or anything like that, I felt like I was letting God down and that I didn't have purpose, which you know, sounds so silly for someone to believe as a, uh, as a uh, person who grew up as a Christian. But how weird being involved in so many ministries and studying theology that I knew so little about what the gospel actually was. God already accepted me right then and there as I was, even though I was broken and defeated. And back then, as imperfect and as imperfect as I am now, he still accepts me. So even today, I, I struggle with this idea, and I just can quickly lapse into uh, thinking that I need to like, be doing something or, or something like that in order for, for God to be happy with me. But um, I also struggle with this materialism thing. I remember one day I spent literally hours on Amazon like kind of organizing my book list and, and just searching and searching for new books and new titles. And I didn't buy anything. So an hour went by and I just kind of sat there like, why am I on this anymore? Uh, <laughs> I had just let this, uh, this kind of short entertainment just consume me for so long. But am I the, am I the only one here? I mean, <laughs> there's, a, there's just so much out there for us to enjoy that we can so easily shove the gospel out and make room for an idol. And, uh, you know, experienced mature Christians and non-mature Christians alike, um, it's just a, an everyday kind of... Um, realization. Well, how can we all do it then? If it's so easy to idolize something other than God, what do we do? So you look back at verse 23, when um, it, could, it picks up after the man left. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, how hard it would be to enter the kingdom of heaven. You skip down to verse 26. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So here's how I read that section. God can do it. He can save you. And the next section, you know, I'll just kind of, let's see, yeah. Behold, we have left everything, followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no man 
who's left anything behind that won't be rewarded, um, and in the age to come have eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And I read that section as he has done it. So God can do it. He has done it. It's not a race. There's no competition. You don't have to finish anything to be ready for it. Right here and now, you can choose Christ over the power of materialism. With him, by his power, you can conquer its hold over your life. It's not a one-and-done decision, like I said. This is a daily thing. But today is the start, just like it was for me five or six years ago. Now I'm going to invite the worship team uh, back up here. And I'd just like you to bow your heads with me. And this is going to be more of a kind of um, moment with you and God. And what I want to do is for you to think about while you worship a couple of, of questions and consider them and just be honest with the Lord. So he's, he's not, like I said and hopefully communicated to you through my story, is that he's not looking to be pleased before he accepts you. His arms are open, so you can be honest with him. Then I want you to ask him to help you turn away from materialism and to help fixate your eyes on the gospel. Ask for it to truly change your life and, to draw it, and for it to draw you closer to him. So these questions that I want you to just think about while, while you're worshiping, the first one is, is there something in my life right now that if God asked me to give it up, could I do it? The second question is, where do I prioritize the gospel in my life? And to just kind of help bring out that answer, you can also ask, do I remind myself of what Christ has done for me daily? Am I impeding the transformative power of the gospel by putting it below my own self-interest? So Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. Help remind us of this amazing gift you have given us, the gospel. Remind us of what it means for our lives. We are now blameless, forgiven, accepted, loved, wanted. Help us to turn away from the desire to feed our own self-interest. It leads us away from you. Draw us closer to you by meditating on the power of the gospel. Decrease the hold of materialism in our lives. Don't let us forsake your gospel for the sake of things.